0: Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Father God, we just thank you and praise you. We just want to steal ourselves before you, Lord, as we've been singing. Speak, Lord. Speak to us today refresh us, and help us to hear your word. We thank you, Father, and we wait upon you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we come to our last uh, session on the, from the Book of Chronicles. We're talking about leadership. So I thought I would start by bringing out my favourite uh, cartoons. I have a little cartoon collection, which... Uh, I've been adding to over the years and I don't get many opportunities to show show them off on Christian leadership. I'm getting uh, no action over here, so uh, sorry guys. Um, Okay, so please uh, encourage me by laughing even though I know they're not really all that funny. Anyway, uh, eventually Hank realized he was too rigid for beach ministry. No shirt, no shoes, no service. Next one. That was the best sermon on giving I ever heard. I told you about that one a week or two ago. Day one of the children's coup. At this time, everyone over 12 is dismissed to go to the adults' church in the basement. Brothers, becoming a mega church is no longer enough. We must become a mighty morphin power church. And uh, last one, I'm aware that some of us take our leadership role a bit more seriously than others. Well, Chronicles is really a book full of stories about Christian leadership and it gives us the characteristics the ingredients for successful reformation Uh, and many examples of leaders who brought reformation to their people in their day we've seen examples of leaders who had great organization we see in chronicles examples of intense heaven-moving prayer we see examples of vibrant praise and worship to god amongst the people of God. We've seen examples of of a very wise handling of finances and generosity. We've seen examples of courage and boldness in faith and stepping out to trust God in faith. We've seen examples of of getting rid of idolatry. We've seen examples of great attention to detail and following through on plans which have been made. This is what Chronicles says. Is full of. And uh, it's Vision Sunday today, so I think we can stop and thank God for what He has birthed amongst us in our congregation. We can thank God for the sense of boldness and vision which our church displays in moving forward for the plans which God has for us. We can thank God for the organization the planning, the follow-through, which is evident by God's grace amongst us. We can thank God for vibrant praise and worship amongst our congregation. I'm not saying we're the best in the world. I'm not saying that there's not room for improvement in many, many things. Of course there is. But we can thank God for all of these aspects, which by God's grace he is doing amongst us. Uh, What I want to do this morning is focus on uh, a more sober subject, a sobering subject, which is a, a pattern, a theme, which comes all the way through Chronicles, and that is that all of the leaders muck up the end of their lives, nearly without an exception. starts with David and Solomon, which actually... Uh, well, we know that they do muck up the end of their lives. David commits adultery and murder. Solomon gets sucked into idolatry. Chronicles, it's, it's almost as if Chronicles just finds it too embarrassing to mention their sins, and it does omit them. We, find, we read about them in Kings. It's almost like these guys are inspiring role models of the past. Let's just hush-hush, move on quickly at the end of their lives because we don't want to get depressed by actually hearing about their failures. But every single other king... Uh, we, we, we find that they muck up the end of their lives. Rehoboam, chapter 12. When the rule of Rehoboam was established and he was strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. Asa, at the end of his reign, uh, basically buys off uh, protection from the Syrians by get, taking gold and silver out of the temple. Jehoshaphat. Chapter 20 makes an alliance with an evil king to save his skin. Joash, chapter 24, falls into idolatry. Uzziah, chapter 26, became proud and arrogant, disobeying God's word. When he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. Hezekiah, chapter 32, he became proud and arrogant as well. The last example, uh, the major example of a, a, reform, a reforming king in the book of Chronicles is Josiah. Uh, so let's, what we're going to do this morning is just uh, summarize the life of Josiah. Because what we have in Josiah is really, if you want to read Chronicles quickly, you don't have time to read the whole thing. You just read the two chapters about Josiah because you get all the best bits of, of Chronicles rolled into one guy his name's josiah 2nd chronicles 34 35 and this guy has got everything all together i might just um move this over here because i'm not used to having the screen over there uh, over here um okay so josiah let's have a look at the life of josiah josiah is the complete package as a leader first of all we find that josiah is a, a king who seeks after god his trust is in God. He relies on God. Secondly, chapter 34, verse three, he gets rid of the idolatry. 34, verse three, He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the ashram, the carved metal, the carved and the metal images. Josiah gets rid of the idolatry. Thirdly, uh, next verse, Josiah repairs the temple of God. Verse 8, he gathered, he made organizations, plans to repair the house of the Lord his God. He values the temple, which is the the, the place where the presence of God would be revealed on earth. Number 4, Josiah gathers and consecrates money for the temple of God. He uses the finances of the kingdom wisely. They came to Hilkiah the priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God. Number 5, Josiah mobilizes his musicians. 34, 12 to 13, the Levites, all who were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers, directed all who did work in every kind of service. Number six, he calls people to listen to and obey the Bible. This is the, probably the major aspect of Josiah's life which is emphasized. He gathers the people of God. The, the book of the law is found in Josiah's reign and then he gathers the people of God and he reads it in their presence. And then he makes them stand and commit to obeying the word of God. Number seven, Josiah leads the people in celebration together. Chapter 35, verses 1 to 19, Josiah kept a Passover to the Lord in Jerusalem. Verse 18, no Passover had like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. Josiah is the complete package as far as Chronicles goes. You notice that all of those topics we've been talking about over the last two months or so, Josiah, tick, 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 every single one. He's the complete package. What a legendary leader. But we come to the end of his life and he mucks it up. What does Josiah do? 35 verse 20 to 27. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, went up to fight at Carchemish on the Euphrates. And Josiah went out to meet him. But he sent envoys to him, saying, What have we to do with each other, king of Judah? I am not coming against you this day, but against the house with which I am at war. God has commanded me to hurry. See supposing God who is with me, lest he destroy you. Nevertheless, Josiah did not turn away from him, but disguised himself in order to fight with him. He did not listen to the words of Necho from the mouth of God, but came to fight in the plain of Megiddo. And the archers shot King Josiah. The king said to his servants, Take me away, I am badly wounded. So his servants took him out of the chariot and carried him in his second chariot and brought him to Jerusalem. And he died and was buried in the tombs of his fathers. All Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Jeremiah also uttered a lament for Josiah. And all the singing men and singing women have spoken of Josiah in their laments to this day. They made these a rule in Israel. Behold, they are written in the laments. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his good deeds according to what is written in the law of the Lord and his acts first and last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. Josiah looks so good. He seemed to have everything all together. And yet at the end of his life, he mucks it up. He does something which is just plain dumb. He picks a fight with a foreign king And he decides to have a go at him and the king rebukes him and says what what are you doing you don't need to fight me this is none of your business and God speaks through the pagan king to communicate with Josiah and still Josiah refuses to listen he becomes conceited he becomes proud he becomes arrogant He's shot by an archer. He dies an inglorious death. And the people of Israel mourn. How did it happen? We thought he had the goods. We thought he was such a godly, wise leader. And yet he falls in a moment of folly, in a moment of stupidity. He falls. What are the lessons we can learn from this? Let me suggest four lessons this morning from all these men who mucked up the end of their lives. Number one, we must never underestimate our own sin. We must never underestimate our own sin because even the best leaders struggle with sin. Even the best leaders. Josiah, he looked the goods. And yet, I imagine... Now this wasn't just a one-off thing. He probably had a bit of a pride, a bit of a conceit, a bit of an arrogance issue which was bubbling away there for quite a while. His wife probably knew. His closest advisors probably knew. Maybe no one else. He kept it from the public stage. He kept it from his leadership. But those closest to him knew and eventually it came out and it destroyed him. And he fell. Friends, one of the first things we need to learn if we're starting our journey with God is that we are all sinners. People have the wrong idea that we who come to church, uh, uh, we've got it all together. But the first, and, and what we're trying to do is to say how good we are because we obey God's word, but know the first thing anybody who has got a genuine relationship with God says is, You know what? I'm a sinner. I've got mistakes in my life, I've got weaknesses, I need help. I'm a sinner. People in the world sometimes accuse us who are Christians of being hypocrites. You know what? They're right. Of course, we're hypocrites. The difference should be the fact that we're happy to admit that we're hypocrites forgiven hypocrites but hypocrites hypocrites who are being changed by God's grace but we admit that we're hypocrites at least that's how we first become Christians the sad truth of the matter is Sometimes we admit that we're hypocrites, we admit that we're sinners when we first become Christians, but as time goes on, we we gain our security in our religion, in our coming to church, in seeking to obey God, and we stop admitting that we're sinners. And we hide our sin. We protect ourselves. Rather than just saying, yes, I'm a sinner. Let me tell you. We can make ourselves look good and josiah looked good he had his bible reading t- together well he brought bible reading back to his kingdom he was bringing the temple back together it looked good he had the passover great celebrations with all of israel what a celebration what a wonderful time but all of the time underneath there's this sin bubbling away let me tell you i can stand up here at the front i can put on a reasonable performance I hope. But just because I stand up here and speak from the Bible each week doesn't mean I've got a healthy marriage. There's no guarantee of that at all. I think I do have a healthy marriage reasonably, in case you're wondering. But there's no, you can't assume that I do. You can't assume that because someone is, is, is uh, singing up the front with this glowing radiance of, you know, they look like they're almost in heaven, you can't assume that they're singing and praising God during the week as, as well. You, you can't assume that. The biggest problem which we need to address in our, our, in our church life is not getting more people here on Sunday. It's not sharpening up church services. It's not having more ministries the biggest problem which we have to address is making sure we love God. Because I tell you, if we have hearts which are loving God and are not just bowed down by sin, secret sins which are constantly undermining the work of God in our life, if we have a church full of people who are overflowing with joy for Jesus, not just on Sunday morning from uh, 10 to 11 a.m., but seven days a week, I tell you what, People will want to know about it people will come we can have the most well-organized programs but we can have a church full of people driven out of duty rather than out of love for jesus we must never underestimate our own sin and so secondly We must make discipleship our first responsibility. Now, those of you who have been coming to Creekside here for a while, you know that this is my hobby horse, which I keep on coming back to. I don't apologize for that because I just think this is true. I just think this is true. Our first priority is to see discipleship of God's people. Because if we get discipleship right, then everything else follows. If you get discipleship right, you get vibrant worship. If you get discipleship right, you get generosity and giving. If you get discipleship right, you get well-organized programs. If you get discipleship right, you get the lot. might take longer, but it will come. It's inevitable. If you don't have it, if you don't get discipleship right, then church is a ticking time bomb. This is because you've got people with sin which is unaddressed in their life, which eventually will come out and cause problems. The way we avoid sin is we understand the gospel so that we love Jesus. And the vehicle for that, how does that actually happen, is through the process of discipleship. Even a leader like Josiah... He has a private weakness which is unaddressed, and there's catastrophic results. What's the problem? Why is there so many churches which are split? Why are there so many accusations of, of, uh, in the world? Why is it the case that so many people in the world do think that Christians are all hypocrites? Why? Because there's a failure in discipleship. Why is it possible that you can have someone like Ted Haggard? Remember Ted Haggard? Mega church pastor, 14,000 people in that church. Leader of a movement, a Christian movement in America of 14 million Christians. Brilliant orator. And yet one day it all comes crumbling down. Found out sexual immorality, drug use. How is that possible that a guy like that could get there to that place of, of leadership? is that possible well it's a failure in discipleship isn't it he says I've wrestled with this deep dark secret all my life well how is it that he got there with that deep dark secret unaddressed now I think we're really making progress Uh, and I just want to thank God that in in our church here I've the last year or two I've made relationships with three three or four guys in in our church congregation here and we're talking, and we're struggling, and we're praying, and we're sharing, and we're growing together in real discipleship. It's great. I want to, make, I want to encourage you. Above anything else, any other aspect of Christian leadership, at the bottom line, the most important thing is are you growing more in love with Jesus? And that means are you being discipled together? So that you do that. Number three, we must cling to God's grace as we serve. Because we might say, well, if it's true that even the best leaders struggle with sin, well, doesn't that mean we should all quit serving God until we get our lives sorted out? I couldn't get involved. I've got to get my life sorted out first. Well, we don't serve God because we've got our lives all together. We serve God because of his grace for us. God's unmerited love that accepts me in spite of who I am, who forgives me. Furthermore, serving God is part of the process of growth, isn't it? That's part of the process of discipleship. It's part of how we grow. But, you know, bottom line is we don't serve God because we we we, we, uh, in order to become someone we don't serve God because I've made it we serve God because of his grace you know I stand up here and I wrestle with constantly I just shared at the beginning of this morning that you know I I talked to a guy I mucked up a conversation and I'm up here and I'm always telling people to do stuff and I look at the congregation I see people in our congregation you're much better at this than me you're much more gifted at say evangelism or or, you know talking about last week um, how we need to be people who celebrate you know I'm hardly a party animal that's not my personality I look at some of you guys and you guys have got the gifts for this and I say why do I have to why should I be saying this sort of stuff and at the end of the day I've just it forces me back to God's grace because I don't serve God out of what I've done I serve God just because it's his grace which calls me to serve. And I step into my new identity of who he has made me in Christ. And I forget about my achievements, whether positive or negative. Finally, we must place our ultimate trust in Jesus. Because Jesus is the leader who you can trust when for me, when I was growing up, when I first became a Christian, I idolized my Sunday school teacher. And I, I really thought, if you know, my whole ambition in life is just to be like that guy. I grew up a little bit older, I got to know him a bit more. I started to see one or two sort of cracks in his character, one or two weaknesses. I said, hmm. But then I saw someone else. He was sort of a, a really, you know, Fired up preacher type guy, really smart theology, really passionate, powerful. And I said, wow, that guy knows God. Wow. And so I started listening to every one of his sermons I could get hold of and I started talking about his theology and following him. A year or two later, I started just to see a, little, a few cracks in his character. And so then I moved to it someone else. I said, oh, forget about him, he's a guy. Moved on to another leader to follow. And of course, that's happened my whole life. And these days what we do is we download podcasts from American you know, superstar preachers because we can't get close to them. We can't see their weaknesses. We can just hear them, what they look like on the stage. But I guarantee you, if you get close enough, you'll see weaknesses in their character. It's good to look for people to follow living examples that we can model our lives on. But don't put your ultimate trust there. Put your trust in me as a leader you're going to be disillusioned you put your trust in shane you put your trust in Vern, you'll be disillusioned it's only a matter of time learn what you can from leaders that god gives you but don't put your ultimate trust there your ultimate trust needs to be in jesus because he is the leader who is 100 faithful he is the king that was going to come the king who would save the world the king who, who already has come who died for your sins? The king who has come and risen from the dead. The king who's not going to mess you around, the king who's not going to let you down, the king that you can trust in. I don't know if you've been disillusioned by people that you put trust in before. I don't know if you've been burnt, maybe at other churches, maybe by parents maybe by people in your life who had an influence in you and you've been burnt. You've become disillusioned. The only king that you can trust, really. Chronicles ends with just failure, failure, failure. The wonderful news of Jesus is that he is a king that you can trust and he is a king who you must trust. Because without Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. He will lead us to eternal life and he's the only king who can do that. So I want to invite you to put your trust in Jesus afresh today. He's the one, he's the only one who can save us and who can lead us and who can grow us in our life and change us. Let's pray. Father, we just want to come to you today. The first step of our coming to you is to admit our sin. So we confess our sin. We confess, Father, that our lives uh, there's more to our lives sometimes than what we just see on here and Sunday morning with one another. And Father, we confess that there's stuff in our life which needs addressing. Every single one of us, we're still on the journey. But we thank you, Father, for Jesus Christ because he is the king that we can trust and he washes us clean. He is the king who's risen from the dead to bring us life. And he's the only one who's worth trusting. So we trust in him. And we rejoice in him. We place our eyes upon him today. So help us as we learn to follow him alone and to experience his power in our life. We ask in Jesus' name.